0: 1027 business with Thanks
1: for staying with us on Hot Business. We are at the World Economic Forum and speaking to participants uh, from a range of industries to find out about the work they do uh, and what they're doing at the World Economic Forum. I'm now joined by Jennifer Blatz. She's the CEO of Strive Together. Jennifer, thanks for your time on Hot Business this evening. Tell me about what Strive Together does, where the company's from, and what you're doing in Davos.
0: That's wonderful. It's wonderful to be here. And... Yeah, Strive Together is a national movement in the United States. Uh, we work in place and we work through partnerships to pour, put more young people on a path to economic mobility. Um, in those partnerships, and we support 70 across the United States, uh, communities are organizing around a shared vision for improving education outcomes starting at birth and through career. And over the last uh, decade, we've been seeing some tremendous results, even with COVID, uh, the impact on education outcomes. uh, We're still seeing 83 percent of our partnerships are improving at least two or more outcomes. And we're seeing racial and socioeconomic disparity gaps close in those communities. And I'm here at Davos because we are uh, one of the award winners of the Schwab Foundation Social Innovation Awards. we're receiving the collective uh social innovation rewards and award and it's it's very exciting to be here for my first time at Davos.
1: What's that like if someone is listening in the radio on the way home in sunny
0: Johannesburg or anywhere in the world? Just give us a sense of what it's like to be in Davos. Well, it's uh it is overwhelming. It's very exciting. Um so there are, you know, first of all, we're in the beautiful snowy mountains of uh the of the Swiss Alps and um it's an experience like i've never seen i come from the midwest in ohio we don't even get much snow anymore so snow covered um you know being in sessions with world leaders global leaders what i'm finding is in talking with all of the people i meet and everyone is so kind and generous with their time um that many of the issues we're experiencing in the united states we're also experiencing across the globe and so we share so many common uh, uh, issues we're working on especially when it relates to education and eradicating poverty and we're all really here trying to transform systems whether it's from business uh, or from the social innovators that I get to spend time with.
1: And what's the importance of doing the kind of work that you do because it's so transformative or it's meant to be transformative where did that idea come from and how difficult is it in a country like the United States?
0: Yeah, I think the work is important because believe it or not um you know in the United States economic mobility has been declining for the la- since the 1940s and really more often than not where you live or where you're born and the color of your skin determines your destiny in the United States. So the work that we do is to ensure that we're looking at the root cause of education disparities in communities and really working to ensure that Every young person in uh, in the United States has an opportunity to thrive and reach their full potential. Has an opportunity to attend a good school, uh, live in safe and stable housing, and really, um, you know, have the opportunity to thrive. And we don't see that in the U.S. And um, you know, I've talked with some people here, and they're they're surprised by that. But really, our education system is very inequitable, and the systems in in the United States, like so many countries across the country, were designed to get the results they, they get, and they don't get the results that they should be getting for all populations. And so we're working specifically to ensure that Black, Indigenous, Latino populations and those experiencing poverty have every opportunity to reach their full potential. If you took out the United States, it
1: could sound like you're talking about South Africa, because uh, on the one hand, I think we've made a lot of progress. We have really good policies in the country to try and advance people. But then there is also that thing of inequality. And where you are born, uh, where you live, who you have access to, being a determining factor in in economic mobility. But I'm so surprised to hear that about the United States. And I think that might be an ignorant generalization on my part. But the perception that you get is, you know, the American dream. Who can forget about that? Uh, uh, chicken in every part, uh, car in every garage. And that being a, a, a thing, especially when you look at even popular culture, the way the ability that people have to transcend their circumstances is touted as one of those very american things but you're saying it's it's not the case and for decades it hasn't been
0: i am the data so an economist in the us um raj chetty did some really transformative work uh looking at uh, social and economic mobility in the United States, and showed that it's been declining, and is not a re- the American dream is very much not a reality for the majority of of Americans, and it is you know the rising cost of of housing, um, the the complete inequalities in terms of the quality of education you get depending on where you live in your community, uh, you know there are you know the changing workforce and all of these social kind of determinant factors, access to good healthcare. There are great disparities in the United States uh, and, and we're working, to, we're working on uh, changing policy so that we can eliminate those disparities or at least we can, unco- we, you know, the kind of the start is to show this data and make sure that people understand the story and understand that so much of the wealth is concentrated with such a small population of Americans. And so we really do need to be telling that story um, and and really looking at what it will take to get more young people on that path and uh, and to be able to have that, uh, you know, achieve that elusive American dream where you one has the expectation that they'll do better than their parents. Everything that every parent wants, every parent, and this is the thing, every parent in every community, I, I have the great privilege of traveling across the United States and um, meeting with partners in our communities who are doing this work, and every parent says the same thing. They want their child to have a great teacher and uh, every opportunity to thrive. They want their child to be able to go on to post-secondary and go on to university and and get that uh, successful career. And they don't know how they can do that given the circumstances that they're living in right now because of the great disparities we see. Jennifer, the kind of environment that you're describing sounds
1: overwhelming, especially if you're saying it's backed up by data showing that since the 1940s, there has uh, been a lack of economic mobility for the broader population. How do you deal with systemic issues like that? I know you said you spoke about policy intervention and the like, but that are so large. And in the space that you're in, even though you're helping a lot of people, you're not helping the entire U.S. and everybody who needs help. How difficult is that? And how do you cope with that as a foundation and as the CEO as well? Because your work is very difficult.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're right. It is an overwhelming problem. And we have set some very ambitious goals. We're, we're working to put 4 million more young people in the uni- United States on a path to economic mobility by 2030. And we're working, as I mentioned, through those partnerships. And, and in those partnerships, we're arming people on the ground in communities with the data that they need to talk with their policymakers and shift policy And we're seeing that happen at a larger scale. So our our national network of 70 communities impacts 14 million young people. And in those communities, what they're doing is really transforming policy to start at the local level. So maybe it's a school policy around who gets tracked into the most advanced um, math classes, which is really we see racial and socioeconomic disparities in terms of who gets access to most advanced classes. So they'll start with those local institutional policy changes. And then as we see results, because we're so data driven, we then take those to uh, local policy at the systems level of maybe it's the school district level. But eventually, so I have an example actually from Texas. So in the state of Texas, we have multiple of these partnerships. And they were working on that very issue to ensure that students, uh, particularly students of color, have access to advanced math pathways. Because that's such a key indicator of one's eventual, you know, ultimate success in education and on other path to economic mobility. So they were able to change the state policy so that students, all students, have to opt out of advanced math pathways. And so therefore, um, implicit bias can't be used to track certain students into these uh, these classes. Jennifer Blett, thank you so much for your time on Hot Business this evening. Really appreciate you
1: giving us insight into the work that you're doing and uh, you experiences in Devos.
0: Thank you for having me. It was wonderful to talk with you today. Hot 1027 Business with Nzinga.